It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the Kriya Yoga Podcast. Once again, it's hard to believe that we've been on this journey for almost four years now. I'm going to be taking a break from the Kriya Yoga podcast once we reach episode 108, and so we're going to call this the end of the first season of the Kriya Yoga podcast. It's been my intention that these episodes serve as inspiration for you on your meditation path, as well as provide information about how to practice Kriya Yoga and how to understand yogic philosophy as it relates to your self-realization process. Even though I'm going to be taking a break from the podcast for a little while, we are still going to continue with our monthly sessions through the Patreon community, the Kriya Yoga Online Patreon community. So if you're interested in participating in our monthly Q&A sessions, if you're interested in participating in our monthly Sunday service sessions, please go to patreon.com slash Kriya Yoga, and you'll find the Kriya Yoga online Patreon community. Also, on Patreon, we have a monthly lesson that's posted at the beginning of each month, and occasionally we'll have um, articles or other material released to our patrons. We're also going to be continuing with the Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship Program. Uh, Many of you are already participating in that program, but that is a two-year program which begins every January. So, If you found inspiration, if you found a sense of encouragement through our time together with the Kriya Yoga podcast, I would like to encourage you to consider participating in the two-year Kriya Yoga apprenticeship program. And the goal of that program is to give students a solid foundation in the practice and in the philosophy of Kriya Yoga so that they can continue to walk this path um, with confidence for the duration of their life. That said, let's go ahead and move on to our topic today. Today we're going to be discussing meditation simplified, how to look at meditation in a simpler way, in a way that might even be a little more challenging to people who've been meditating for a while. And the goal of this discussion is to focus on the mechanics of meditation, how yogic meditation works, and also to focus on the main principle of yoga as it relates to the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali with the emphasis that yoga is the ending or the cessation of fluctuations and changes within our consciousness. So it's very easy to make meditation more complicated than it needs to be. And it might be that for a beginner, it is important to make meditation more complicated than it needs to be. And the reason that's the case is because our minds, when they get stuck in a loop or a pattern or a way of thinking, it's really hard to redirect that habit of the mind. 
And so if the mind is used to worrying, or if the mind is used to daydreaming, or if the mind is used to uh, obsessive thinking, when you sit to meditate and someone tells you, just sit there and be quiet, or just sit there and do Kriya Pranayama and everything will, will calm down, Sometimes we don't always find that to be the case because we have this strong habit. We have this, the mind has a strong habit, a strong pattern of moving within these grooves of obsessive thinking or classification or obsessive, you name it, whatever the mind can do in an obsessive fashion, I'm sure it can do. But ultimately, meditation is meant to give you a realization, a direct experience of stillness, a direct experience of inner silence. I recently heard someone say, um, a friend of mine that I was spending time with, he said, um, there are of the seven directions, it's the seventh direction that gives you power. He said, there's east, there's west, there's north, there's south, there's above, and there's below. But the direction that gives you power is the seventh one, which is within, the direction that pulls you within. And it is the purpose of yogic meditation to reverse that outward flowing of the mind, that obsessive thinking of the mind. And it is the purpose of yogic meditation to, in time, pull your attention inward once again. We came from inner space, and we've flo flowed our awareness out into the world of experience and the world of personality. And through yoga practice, we are, we are setting up the situation so that our attention begins to flow back inward. And ideally, what happens, the more you practice yogic meditation effectively, that same process, which has most people caught up in the outward world and all their anxieties and all their fears and all of their obsessive thinking, there's a habit behind that. And through the practice of yogic meditation, what we're doing is we're building a habit to flow inward. And in time, the more we put awareness on our meditation practice, on our spiritual practice, it it is possible for that inward flowing attention to become stronger than the outward flowing attention. So really what's happening there is you are simply strengthening the habit to go inward. And eventually that overcomes the habit to flow out into the world, to flow out into uh, the experience of distraction, into the temporal changeable aspect of your, your, your life experience. Now, why is it easier for a beginner meditator to overcomplicate things. It's easier for a beginner meditator to overcomplicate things because they don't have the natural capacity or the habit of flowing their awareness inward. And so they have to do more in a sense to distract their mind from the distractions. It's like if you are always thinking about something and you're always obsessed with the past. Well, sometimes the only way that you can get out of that is to, to do something like listen to loud music or to do an extreme exercise routine. So you have to do more. You have to use more of your willpower, your energy, 
you, you have to make the distraction greater in order to let go of your attachment to the past in this situation. So the same is true with meditation. Whereas an advanced meditator who's been practicing for a while, who has built up the momentum to go inward, you might be able to say to them, just sit down and hold your awareness on the space between the eyebrows, the frontal regions of the brain, the spiritual eye center. And they sit down, and because they're already fairly still inside, just by bringing their awareness there, they don't have all these other distraction, other distractions to compete with. And so it's easy for them. Whereas if you have someone who's just begun meditating and is still subject to this habit of overthinking and this habit of really paying attention to these external distractions, you have to say, okay, feel the body, observe the breath, chant this complicated mantra. Now breathe in this certain way so you can imagine and feel life force circulating through your body. You, you give a long list of things for them to do because in that situation for the beginner, that is putting their focus somewhere else other than the common distractions that they usually experience when they sit down and close their eyes and turn within. Now in time, what happens is the, the distractions of their life become less and less, and it becomes easier and easier for them to pull their awareness within. Uh, we can see this with musicians. Whereas in the beginning, a musician is learning a particular piece and they really have to focus on memorizing it. They really have to focus on how are their hands supposed to move? When are the changes supposed to occur? There's a lot of thought going on. But once the musician has done it enough, essentially what happens is they can just sit down and they can probably have a conversation. They can walk around. They can probably not even think about it. And it comes out naturally because they've built this momentum. They've built this habit towards being able to play this complicated piece. Now, with yoga and with yogic meditation, we are ultimately trying to uncomplicate things. We are ultimately trying to move into a place of stillness where you don't have to do a whole lot except to be alert and present and in the mode of being a seer and a witness. But the, as the stages of, of yoga go, um, depending on who you are, I suppose, you have, to, you have to redirect your consciousness. Just like if you've been spending a lot of time with uh, unsavory people who get you in trouble all the time, well, the answer might not necessarily be to just not hang out with anybody. The answer might be to start redirecting your awareness to where you're spending time with people who are responsible, who are helpful, who are going to be good for you, who can be a good support for the changes within your life. And then you find greater strength. So with our yogic process, we need to redirect our awareness from those things which distract us and in a sense, start distracting ourselves with what we could call more spiritual things. That's a stage in the process. And the trouble is, is a lot of people get stuck at that stage. You know, we have someone who has an addiction or we have someone who has had a lot of difficulty in their life and they're looking for inner peace. They're looking for a greater sense of um, internal strength. And so then they take up religion or spirituality. And what happens is they've just they just exchange the, the addiction for now an addiction to talking about philosophy 
or an addiction to becoming a missionary or an addiction to engaging in a spiritual practice. And that's better than the addiction. But we have to remember from a yogic standpoint, the purpose of yoga and spiritual practice is self-realization and that the practices that we engage in, that they are practices. They are things which release us into an experience of infinite consciousness, uh, an experience of being part of the wholeness of life. And we're not meant to hyper-focus on those tools for the sake of focusing on the tools. Yogananda had said that the meditation techniques that we use, that these are tools. And when the tools have done their job, just like when you're building a structure, you don't keep holding on to the hammer and the wrench and the nails once the house is built. So what we have to be aware of in this process of yogic meditation is that there certainly are things that help to direct one's consciousness inward. And those are tools. Those are the way we live our life, the foods that we eat, the people we spend time with, um, our commitment to meditation and trying to meditate well and intelligently, and even with devotion. But all of those are meant to release our awareness into our infinite spirit. And that could take a while. I'm just having this sort of side discussion here just to get you thinking or wondering, am I stuck on, on my tools? Have I moved into a state where I'm more interested in nitpicking the philosophy and the Sanskrit words, and I'm more interested in being hyper-focused on being able to discuss the history of yoga than I am in regards, than I am uh, to be able to actually practice well, to actually practice well. And so I want to encourage you to most certainly be informed, learn about the practices, learn about the history of yoga, most certainly learn all the techniques that you need and practice those techniques so that you can direct your awareness inward. But my caution is don't just keep reading. Don't just keep studying. Don't just keep searching for ways to refine techniques when it might not be the technique that is the problem, or it might not be your lack of information that is the problem. Maybe part of the problem is focusing on this, the simplicity of the practice. So let's talk about that for a little bit. When an advanced meditator sits to meditate, what is going on? What is their experience? We'll do our best to describe this. When an advanced meditator sits in meditation, they are aware. They are present. They are not falling asleep. They are in a state of stillness. Their mind is not labeling this or that. It is not worried about the next moment. In a way, there is a focus on riding that fine line of the present and being very comfortable there. And this can occur with their eyes open when they're engaged in the world. It can also occur with their eyes closed, and then they become aware of the inner states of their consciousness. But 
ultimately there is this experience of alert yet relaxed presence and there's no internal dialogue going on there's no internal dialogue going on and as that progresses there might even be um, freedom from a small sense of self and what's the best way that we can describe this this is a hard one what does it mean to have freedom from the small sense of self well in the yoga sutras uh, one of the main difficulties that we all experience that cause us uh, to be distracted and to not feel like we are the spiritual beings that we are is this identification with asmita, that, which can be translated as the idea of the ego, but it's the sense of being an individual, really. And when we think about the ego, I like to think of that more as though your collection's of attachments and aversions and quirks and idiosyncrasies that if someone was going to say, what's that person like? You could give a list and they'd say, oh yeah, that's what they're like. But this, this sense of being an individual is more subtle. It's just a sense of existing, a sense of being present, a sense of, of knowing that you are observing something, that you are participating in something. Now, in intermediate stages of meditation that might be there and there's nothing wrong with that there's still no commentary going on you're still absolutely present you are still inside but there is this sense of of an individual existing experiencing that the longer you stay in that process and when you start to learn um, more internal practices and the subtler aspects of yoga um, beyond more gross meditation techniques like mantra and pranayama, uh, you learn to transcend that, even that, that sense of, of being an individual. And then the awareness is released, free. And you really can't describe what that's like because there's no reference point for it. But you'll know it when you experience it. And it is a sense of freedom, generally speaking. It is a sense of going beyond any kind of individuality. This occurs in more advanced stages of meditation. And in order to experience that, we have to have a good foundation. But that's what we're aiming for. That's what, that's what this whole process of self-realization is moving you in the direction of. And everyone's going to approach it a little bit differently. But generally speaking, the road is going to point north. So there might be multiple roads, but it's all pointing in the same direction, north. Now, it's re that's really very simple, isn't it? I mean, imagine how, how much simpler can you get than to simply be present, be aware, have a sense of stillness, no thoughts going on in your mind, uh, no definitions, no conceptions, just, even if we focus on the intermediate stage, just an experience of, of, of being an individual existing, observing. That's all. The sense of I-ness. Let's just get there first. Well, that's really very simple. But we have to do what we have to do to make that possible. And this is where I want to encourage you. Because many people they fall into the trap of thinking, oh, well, if I just meet the right teacher, and the good, a good teacher does make a 
dramatic difference. But if I just meet the right teacher, then that will do it for me. Or if I just get the right mantra, where I just understand the right way of applying this pranayama, where I just can understand Sanskrit in a little more precise way, that's what's going to make it happen. Well, do what you need to do. But all these things are aids. And all the tools, you can have all the tools you need in your toolbox, but you have to know how to work them and when to use them. So I, I kind of look at it, uh, I remember my college days. Um, I had roommates, and I also had not an, a super active um, social life, but I had an active social life. And so sometimes it was hard for me to focus on my studies. And, you know, essentially, I was given the textbooks that I needed to study, I had the space to study. I had teachers that were willing to share with me what I needed to study. And is that enough? Well, not really. I then had to recognize how do I need to set up my life so that I can actually internalize what they're needing to teach me. And I had to choose a certain time during the day when I would shut off my phone I didn't have a cell phone at that point in time. Let's just say I would take the phone off the hook. I would lock the door. I would put a note up that said, I am busy right now. And I had to make the space to go in and focus on what was important. And we have to do this on a few different levels when it comes to our yogic meditation. We have to do just what I said, which is you have to make the space in your life so that you can focus all of your available attention on the practice that you're engaging yourself in. You, you have to make the space in your life so that you can give all of your available attention during that time to your spiritual study. That's step one. And if you're doing that, you're already doing a lot more than most people. But then we also have to take it to a subtler level. Maybe you've learned uh, the preliminary practices of Kriya Yoga or some other spiritual path. You know how to meditate in a way that will give results. But as you're meditating, you're locked away, you've made the time for yourself, you allow yourself to think about other things than the practice. And this is where many people falter because they, they, they think, well, if I just chant this mantra that'll do it. Maybe it will. But in most cases, you have to actually give your full attention to the mantra and you have to be honest with yourself about how you're doing that. So if you've been given a mantra to practice, rather than making it into a mechanical experience, or rather than make it into something that you think is going to magically transform you, what you have to recognize is you have to be aware of each time you practice that mantra. So let's just say I was using the mantra Om Namah Shivaya. And every time I, I've got my, my beads, my Rudraksha beads, and it's time to meditate, I've lit my candle. I can see uh, on, on the wall the pictures of the spiritual teachers that inspire me. And I'm feeling sacred. Well, now I sit down and I just start repeating Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, again and again, and I'm just saying it. 
and I'm aware of the pictures on the wall, and I certainly feel like this is an important time, but basically it's as though um, I'm immersed in an ocean, and that ocean is full of distractions, and I'm letting this mantra run through the ocean, but I'm still paying attention to the ocean that's all around me rather than focusing on the mantra. So you have to focus on the very simple part of the practice. And that means every single time you recite the mantra, you are conscious of how engaged you were in paying attention to every part of that phrase. Om Namah Shivaya. As you, as you recited that, were you able to remain fully engaged in it? Great. And you go for three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten more times. And you have to be aware and vigilant of at what point were you not giving your full awareness to that mantra. Maybe it happened on the third time. Maybe it happened on the fourth time. And when you notice that, Internally, you're working yourself out. You're working yourself out spiritually. It's an exercise. Then you, you decide, okay, I'm going to try harder this time. Without strain, you know, you just use your intention and your willpower, but don't strain. Don't give yourself a headache. And you decide, I'm going to, I'm going to double down and make sure that now I can chant this mantra eight times in a row before I notice my mind going somewhere else. And it is this kind of active approach to meditation that makes meditation transformational, that gives you a direct experience of the yogic process of meditation. And the same is applied to pranayama. When we practice pranayama, alternate nostril breathing, sushumna breathing, simple breath awareness, um, kriya pranayama, or any of the other countless versions of pranayama that, that are available to us that we might have learned at some point in time. What many people do is they go through the breathing practices routinely and mechanically. But in, in order for that to have the most beneficial effect, spiritually speaking, you have to pay attention to each movement of the breath which means you are doing whatever it takes to sink your attention into the feeling of the breath as it flows in through the left nostril and then as it flows out through the right nostril. And maybe you pause in between each of the inhalations and exhalations. And so you become aware of, of that space as well. And so when you're practicing pranayama, you do whatever it takes to feel the full experience of the pranayama, the full sensation within the body, the movement of the belly and the chest, the feeling of the sensation of the air as it flows in and out of the body. And again, you do the same thing. You notice how many repetitions can you, can you go through until you recognize, oh, wait a minute, I got distracted or, or I started thinking about this or I started falling asleep. And you have to be so there, so present that you say, okay, now let's pull it back together and let's see if I can go one or two more rounds while, while only paying attention to the pranayama practice. And this can roll over into your asana practice, the, the movement portion of yoga. And this is what makes the asana, the hatha yoga practice, uh, a great support for meditation. As you begin your asana practice and your hatha yoga practice, you want to 
be as aware of your body as possible when you move into triangle pose or warrior pose. When you move into these different poses, you want to be conscious of what muscles are engaged when you move into that pose. And you want to feel them as you move and as you breathe. And you want to feel the experience of that posture in your body as you hold the pose. And the whole purpose of this is to start to give you the capacity to practice dharana, dhyana, and samadhi together, to give you the capacity to focus. You have to, in order to be able to focus, you have to practice focusing. Otherwise, you will never be able to engage dharana, dhyana, and samadhi, the three inner limbs of yoga. And so all of these techniques, mantra, pranayama, asana, they are all tools to strengthen your capacity to focus, to hold your awareness in one place. Now, you don't want to beat yourself up and you don't want to be too harsh on yourself. We live in a very distracted world. And so if you are not very good at this, you don't want to give up. You're not very good at it because you've not really tried probably. Just like when someone starts to go to work out let's say, to lift weights in the gym. If they've never done it before, of course they're not going to be able to lift that much weight. That doesn't mean that they just give up and go home. They, they lift the weight that they can, and if they continue in that way consistently, in time, they will get stronger. It's just how it works. The same is true with our, our consciousness. Our consciousness grows stronger related to how we develop it. And so if our consciousness has spent its entire life being distracted, well, it's got a lot of strength to be distracted. It's actually very strong. It's just very strong towards the direction of distraction. But as we begin to practice yogic meditation, we are kind of reversing that process. What we're learning to do is to strengthen the capacity for focus, strengthen the capacity for concentration. And a lot of people don't like to do this because it's hard work because their life is hard enough, because um, you know they've been down so long that their life uh, being down so long, it seems like up to them. And, and it's, it's uncomfortable for many people. And that's a shame. But most people who are interested in yoga and meditation, they are, they are inspired towards developing this in the same way that a musician is naturally inspired to want to practice their instrument. No one has to sit down and force them how to do it. If anyone has to force someone how to play music, more than likely, I'm going to imagine music's not for them. If someone has to be forced to go to the gym, well, how sustainable is that? So it might not be that, um, going to the gym isn't for them <laughs> because we can all benefit from making ourselves stronger, but it might not be sustainable if they don't have a natural inspiration towards doing it. That's why trying to encourage your family and friends to learn meditation and practice yogic philosophy when they really don't care at the end of the day isn't very useful. That's why it's more important that you practice it yourself and then your state of consciousness becomes clearer and then that might have a subtle benefit on their own life. And in time, maybe they notice that. And then they start asking you, well, how did you get so calm? How did you 
become so insightful, and then you can explain to them the process, and if they are actually truly inspired towards that, they'll take it up themselves. But anyway, back to the point we're trying to get at here. Meditation can be very complicated, and that's fine. If it needs to be complicated for you, if you have to have all the ritual, if you have to have uh, all the, the, the candle waving and that sort of a thing, and that helps you stay focused on spirit, by all means, keep doing that. But I'm wanting to talk to those of you who want to refine the process. And so use the candle waving, use the incense, use the, the complicated techniques. But as you do it, do it with focus. And by focus, I don't mean stress. I mean with interest. Do it because, because it's, it's a love of yours, like gardening. When you garden, you, you really want to grow your fruits or you want to grow your flowers. You want to see the beauty of the garden. But there's a lot of prep work before that happens. And a true gardener appreciates all of that hard work of being bent over, of digging in the dirt, of uh, readying their compost and so on. All of that to them is, is a beautiful part of the process. So for you, I want to encourage you to find a way to make this idea, this necessary approach, a focus, a beautiful part of your process. And once again, how do you do that? Well, you have to set aside the time to be alone so that you can close your eyes, so that you can have as few distractions as possible. When you're an advanced meditator, you won't worry about any of the distractions. You can meditate anywhere. But we're not talking to advanced meditators at the moment. We're talking to um, people who really want to improve their meditation practice and, and you've been doing it for a while and you wonder why aren't you making the progress that you should. And oftentimes it's for this reason. So find yourself a place to be quiet, to be still, a time when it's just your time. It's your spiritual time. And then have your meditation routine that you've learned from lectures, seminars, or that you've learned from your own spiritual teacher and engage that practice. Do it the way you've been taught. But the difference between someone who just goes through it and what you're going to do is your goal is to pay pristine attention to every aspect of that process while you are there in that sacred time. You could have the simplest meditation technique in the world. And if you were doing this, it would be one of the most powerful spiritual techniques in the world. So let's imagine just uh, a general, maybe say 30, 25 minute practice. And I'm going to base this on what I used to do uh, when I first learned Kriya Yoga. The first thing I would do is I would go to my meditation space. And I knew why I was going there. I'm going there to meditate. I'm going there to engage in this process. And then I would sit down and I had um, a small table. And on that table, I had pictures of Mahavatar Babaji, Lahiri Mahasaya, Swami Sri Yukteswar, Paramahansa Yogananda, and Roy Eugene Davis. These are the teachers in the Kriya Yoga tradition that I was participating in. And I had read their books I had studied their lives. I had met and learned from Mr. Davis. And so they were an inspiration to me. 
And so when I looked at their pictures one by one, I would affirm their name and I would honor and acknowledge the impact they had on my life, making it possible for me to have this opportunity to practice meditation for the purpose of self-realization. And when I would do that, I was already really engaged and focused because I was interested in them. I was interested in knowing what they knew. I was grateful and thankful for uh, the works that they provided to me, for the lectures that they shared, for the teaching that I got from them. So I was interested in the same way that when I was a teenager and I liked listening to music and I'd get out the, the tapes or the records and I'd, I'd read um, the liner notes, I wasn't distracted at all. I was really interested in reading and listening, reading these liner notes and listening to the sounds that were coming from these people that I admired musically. So the same was true for me from this uh, spiritual perspective. Now, once that happened, I had already lit a candle and I liked incense. I'd always loved incense. Even when I was a child, I remember wanting to get incense and my parents would yell at me telling me I was going to burn down the house. And um, I would light incense and a candle and, and that helped That helped center me because it just felt good. I, I enjoyed watching the smoke rise. I enjoyed the softness of the candlelight. And I'd begin the practice that I was taught. And I, I always began with um, alternate nostril breathing. And I would do 12 to 24 rounds of alternate nostril breathing. And what I would aim to do was, again, feel every movement of that process. I would be sure to aim to feel the sensation of my uh, fingertips on my nostrils as I opened and closed them. I would let the breath be a little deeper than normal, and I would aim to feel the movement of the air as it passed through my my nostrils, up through my sinuses, down into my chest. Each movement, each moment of that practice, what I was aiming to do was to be as present for it as possible. And one way I like to describe this, it's like when you're with the person that you love the most in the world. And all you can do is be absorbed in their presence, in the look of their eyes, in the touch of their hand, and the way they move. When you're with someone like that, you don't have to be told, look at this person. You are naturally inspired. You, you just feel a sense of love and devotion towards them, that they absorb every moment. Time seems to fly by. Well, this is the way I approached uh, the techniques in my meditation practice. And I would do alternate nostril breathing for, as I mentioned, 12 to 24 rounds. And then I would rest. I would take a few minutes just simply with my eyes closed, be present, be aware, feel my body, feel the environment around me. And if thoughts came in, I would acknowledge there's a thought. If a distraction arose, I would acknowledge, oh, look at that. But you see, in that process of acknowledging it, I was also preventing myself from getting caught up in, sucked into, pulled into the distraction of the thought. I didn't see the thought and then start thinking about what the thought indicated. I just said, look at that. The thought's thinking about how I haven't had coffee in six months. And by doing that, it, it discharged the uh, connection to that thought. And so if distractions or thoughts arose in between practice, I didn't worry about it. I just observed. 
And after a little while, then I would take up the Kriya Yoga Pranayama routines, the Life Force Arousal, Kriya Pranayama, Jyoti Mudra. And um, those of you who know that, well, you know what I'm talking about. Essentially, I would observe the movement of each of those practices, how the body felt, how the sensation of the, the life force current rising and descending through the spine, either how it actually felt or if I couldn't feel it that day, I would imagine what it would feel like. But I was there. I was observing. I was engaged in it. I was present with it in every moment. And if I caught myself being pulled away, if I recognized, wow, I just did five Kriya Pranayamas and I wasn't even aware of it. I was lost in thought. Well, I would stop a moment. And then I would redirect my willpower, my curiosity back to the process so that it it was pulling my awareness into it. Now, other techniques you use, mantra. Um, when you practice the mantra, we already discussed that. When you do something like chanting through the chakras, you do whatever it takes to be as there in every moment from second to second as you feel the chakra, the area of the body, and you chant the seed syllable. And again, it, it, hopefully you're not taking this as a, a stressful thing. It's not stressful. It needs to have a sense of curiosity with it, of recognizing, oh, okay, for the last two minutes, I was not here at all. I don't know where I was, but something happened and I lost my, my conscious awareness. And so you acknowledge that, and then you just gently bring your attention back to what you have decided to focus on. And what you'll find is, if you're kind to yourself, if you're practicing ahimsa, and if you're not attached, uh, but you are interested, uh, you will be able to, you will be able to hold your attention in the present moment with these techniques, these tools, longer and longer and longer, until eventually, you can simply drop the tools and be there be there in the state of stillness. And then in that place, you can do some of the deeper yogic work, the internal work, the inner work. Or if you can abide there long enough, Mr. Davis would often say, um, allow allow your innate inspiration to wake up. Let that take over. And if you can be present and you can observe, it's as if you, you notice things happening of its own accord. You notice a lightness coming of its own accord. You notice a depth of clarity coming of its own accord. You just let the soul urge for clarity to come forth. But in order to do that in the best way requires that you have this foundation, this ability to be present. And it are, um, excuse me, it is the yogic practices of meditation and the supports to those yogic practices which make it possible but you have to be engaged in it so for those of you who've been meditating for a long time and you don't feel you're making the progress that you should well back up back up and and look at your practice from this lens look at your practice from this perspective and see are you doing this you might have Many people I've met who they've been initiated into one, two, three, four different uh, variations of the Kriya routine, and they've learned all these different meditation techniques, and they say, I just, you know, I, I've, I've been doing this for a long time, and um, 
I, I know I've met these good teachers. I mean, they're, they're sincere and they're intelligent about what they're sharing and, and I understand what they're saying. And I just keep getting initiated into this, these other practices, but I just don't feel like I'm, I'm going anywhere, spiritually speaking. Not that you really have to go anywhere, spiritually speaking, but it's just a, um, a colloquialism, I suppose. Um, but often it is, it is the fact that they have skipped this process, that they have skipped this view of how to approach it. And when you approach it from this way, in time, you need less and less techniques. You, you begin to stand on your own, spiritually speaking. You, you begin to um, recognize that you are this infinite, eternal presence which, which threads through everything, which many people refer to as the self. And because of the momentum and the habit of your practice, it becomes it becomes as natural to you after many years as being distracted was before you even got started. And that's what we're aiming for. And then we sustain this through the duration of our embodied life, through the duration uh, that we are alive. Um, and then when it's time to leave the body, transcend, well, no big deal. You've already been able to hold your awareness in the infinite. And so you don't have to ask the question about what technique do I need to do to be spiritually liberated when I die. You're already spiritually liberated. So you just let the body go and there you have it. So that's why we need to really consider um, this, this simple idea of practice. And really it just comes down to the mechanics of consciousness. Consciousness becomes whatever whatever it is directed to. And it can become that just by being unconscious, by not even trying, or it can become that by tapping into um, this potential for willpower that we have, the willpower that exists. We can make a choice. And that is what our spiritual practice is really all about. It's just simply continuously making the choice to abide in, recognize the infinite consciousness, spirit, the divine, however you want to describe it, and stay there. So as you consider your meditation process, don't get carried away in excessive philosophical exploration and discussion. Don't get carried away in becoming a technique junkie. Don't get carried away in trying to figure out if is yoga 5,000 years old or is it older than that or has it only been around for 2,500 years? All that's interesting. All that's fun to explore when you've got nothing else to do. But we have to really look at, dig into, and appreciate this fundamental uh, way consciousness works. And even the simplest meditation practice can be profound, uplifting, spiritually clarifying, if attended to in this way. And then the beautiful thing about this is that once you get this skill, it carries over into the rest of your life in the same way that 
if you are able to make your body stronger, and you do that, say, 20 to 45 minutes every day or every other day, that strength that you develop, that flexibility, that adaptability of the body that you develop through this 20 to 45 minute practice um, allows you to be stronger to do everything else in your life. And the same is true with your meditation and yogic practice. You might only spend 45 minutes, maybe an hour and a half, we don't want to go crazy here, uh, exploring this process. Even if it's only 45 minutes, even if it's only 20 minutes, if you were actively engaged in this process for 20 minutes, once or twice a day, it would deeply impact how the rest of your day works. Because then you have the capacity to focus you have the capacity to avoid distractions. You have the capacity to abide in and respond appropriately to the present moment. And when you are able to do that, you are really alive then. You are really alive then. And this is the whole goal of yogic meditation. This is the whole goal of all authentic spiritual traditions, to make you actually alive and not at the mercy of the distractions, not at the mercy of... Um, unconsciousness. The goal is to make you as conscious as you can be. And really, it's to realize how conscious you can be. Not make you that conscious, but to realize how conscious you can be. So consider this as you review your meditation practice and allow it to give you the strength and the ability to really experience the full results and the reason that yogic meditation exists in the first place. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.